This episode of Control-Alt-Delete is brought to you by Braintree. Even the best mobile app won't work without the right payments API. That's where the Braintree V.0 SDK comes in. One amazingly simple integration gives you every way to pay. But don't take our word for it. Try out the sandbox and see for yourself at braintreepayments.com slash Walt. This episode of Control-Alt-Delete is brought to you by Lenovo. Every day, rich new veins are created in a big data goldmine. Today, we generate more than 2.5 billion gigabytes of data each day in the form of 205 billion emails, 3.5 billion requests on Google, and 2.7 billion likes on Facebook. Most of that data is stored on nearly 5.5 million servers operated by just 16 companies. It's all that big data that business can use to improve products and gain a competitive advantage. Business today is like being in a game show lightning round. Answer the fastest and you win. So Lenovo is creating the next generation data center to help companies more efficiently mine data to uncover insights faster. That requires the ability to store massive amounts of data and the processing performance needed to analyze it. Lenovo server systems are number one in uptime and reliability with a proven track record of superior performance with the big names in data analytics. So learn more about how Lenovo is transforming the data center at www.lenovo.com slash data center. Hello, and welcome to Control-Alt-Delete, your number one source for fake news from The Verge. <laughs> uh, that comes from Nick on Twitter. He's at The Kirker. We love your interest. Keep sending him. Anyway, I am Neil Patel, and the editor-in-chief of The Verge. I am joined, as always, by Walter S. Mossberg, uh, The Verge's executive editor, editor-at-large at Recode. How's it going, Walt? Uh, it's going great. It's this going is a, an interesting one for us, where our, our roles are flipped. We're Walt, flipped. Walt is in the booth in New York, where I usually record, and then I'm on the road in New Orleans for a Vox Media corporate shindig, which is great. <laughs> I love it here. Um, but it's we. I was. I think Walt and I are both excited. Walt's coming to New York. We're going to do it together, and then I, I had to take off. <laughs> I know. And now I, anyway. they've put me in this sort of cell i don't know what it is it's what's my cell that's it's like my a home. submarine i don't know Take but that, i spend a lot of time in that booth um yeah it's a very small very hot uh sound booth in new york but anyway it's very hot, that intro yeah. is actually super appropriate because walt your column this week was about fake news obviously we've been talking about the election now for a few weeks uh by the way welcome back everybody we were off last week so welcome back to the show um but we've been talking about the election it's the the trump train keeps on rolling here but the amount of emphasis that's been placed on bad information on our social networks fake just outright fake news on facebook it hasn't dissipated the the, the controversy around it hasn't died down at all and while you you dove into it this week right and uh, let me stress that this is not this is not mainly about the election the election brought this problem to light and i think the fact that we were having an election campaign here uh, gave the people that produce fake news uh more of an impetus to do it so there was more of it but um i think this has been a problem for a while and it really goes to the heart of the question of facebook's evolving role uh so all of all i mean google ha- too has a role in this twitter has a role in it but Facebook is the big is the big platform uh, here, and the reason is that for you know nothing to do with the election, just on its own, uh, Facebook has been doing a tremendous number of deals and outreach and uh, 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 with media companies, with 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 journalism producing companies uh, and uh, you know big and small old, new, whatever, to be the primary place where people read their news. 
and it has worked. Um, I cited, and many other people have cited, a Pew uh, research study showing that 44% of U.S. adults get at least some of their news from Facebook. I expect some people get all their news from Facebook. And that could include direct publication uh, by, uh, uh, say, The Verge, which is a participant within, in Facebook's programs, or uh, The New York Times, or the you know Breitbart, or whoever it is that wants to publish there. Or it could be something that a friend or an acquaintance has shared, and they uh, click on the link. But Facebook, what I was arguing in this piece this morning was uh, one broad thing and one narrow thing. The broad thing is Facebook is a media company. It says it's a technology company, but it has taken many actions, and it has a whole economic uh, structure that uh, makes it a media company. And the narrow thing is it is the biggest and most important conduit for absolutely, completely fake news uh, made up by, I mean, published by made-up fake news sites, and it needs yeah. to do something about it. And that was the, those were the points I was making. And I think that responsibility is, is it's much more controversial than you might think. For example, um, Casey Newton is one of our great reporters and editors, and he tells me all the time, he thinks the idea that Facebook has to label itself a media company instead of technology company uh, is ridiculous because it doesn't matter what the label is. The mat what matters is Facebook's responsibility, how they act to that responsibility and that obligation. Uh, but you in your column very explicitly said it's time for Facebook to start acting like a media company. Yeah, I don't care and about labels either. I mean, they don't have to say Facebook, comma, a media company uh, <laughs> because there's still a place where, you know, you show your baby pictures and, you know, you argue about the play on the field or whatever but um, yeah. um, they did they have to behave like the media company they have chosen to become that is the right. thing I mean there was well, so I think that label actually does matter that, 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 that that's the point I was getting at is the the controversy seems really silly it seems like a labeling controversy but I think that label of we are the media at least I think and maybe I'm just being an idealistic you know falsely noble, idiot. But I, I think once you start saying we're the media, it, it, it starts to carry an enormous amount of weight of we are we are here to, to tell you the truth insofar as we believe these things are true. And I think that's where, as we were working on a column yesterday, you were, you were very careful to say this isn't about liberal or conservative. It's not about opinions that might differ. It's about Thing, it's about things that are verifiably true and things which are obviously fake. That's and right. I, Facebook doesn't seem to feel that obligation. Now, I, look, I, I, his word. Now, Mark Zuckerberg has said we don't want hoaxes. We know our readers don't want fake news. He said those things. Put up two long posts. I think he feels the pressure clearly. I put up a post on November twelfth, in which he kind of said, "Well, we didn't, we didn't alter the results of the election." because only 1% of the, quote, news on Facebook was fake. Now, if only 1% of the news on The Verge was fake, we were dead, right? Yeah. Why would anyone <laughs> trust us? So um, to people like you and I who, who are journalists who've been in this business, uh, uh, this profession, this calling, whatever you want to call it, 1% is terrible. And I'm not, you know, that's if his numbers are right, you know, the Pope, the story that said the Pope 
endorsed Trump was obviously fake because the Pope doesn't endorse U.S. presidential candidates and that the Vatican radio has its own Facebook page where it surely would have been. So it would have taken 30 seconds for someone at Facebook to figure out that this was not true. But no, but no one considered it their job to keep a completely unalterably, you know, unquestionably false story from an unquestionably false source off of a site which carries a wide variety of, of news and opinion from genuine sources. And I think it's actually, I would say that actually uh, pieces like the one I wrote this morning, which people, you know, there's a lot of comments. Some people agree with me and some people don't agree with me. But in the long run, even if Facebook pisses off some people, even if Facebook loses some people, I don't know why they would, but they might, they're going to be worse off if they don't deal with this. And I think Mark Zuckerberg's second post on the 19th kind of reflected a little a little bit of a shift. Maybe it's just me reading into it because he, he said it's an update. Here are a whole bunch of specific things we're going to do. The fault I found with it was it still said we don't – we aren't going to do this. We're going to rely on the community and third parties and whatever. And so that was another point I wanted to make in the piece. I think they have to step up. You know, they could get out of this business, but if they're not going to get out of this business, they have to step up and they have to, they have to, to use a Trump term, frankly, they have to drain the swamp. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not a, it's not a Twitter sized swamp, thank goodness, but it's a swamp and well, they have to drain it. And, you know, that, <laughs> and this is not about politics. Uh, right. There's loads of legitimate news that it, that is pleasing to and favorable toward conservatives. I'm all for it. I'm opinion pieces that are entirely pro-conservative or entirely pro-liberal or, or entirely a pox on both your houses or whatever they are, that's all fine. So yeah, nothing to do with example, politics. For example, and I'll just put this out there, uh, you know, uh, Trump very much appears to be moving towards um, sort some sort of substantial reworking or dismantling or replacing or whatever he's going to do with Obamacare, the ACA. Uh, it's it probably for the best for people on Facebook to see the full-throated defense, uh, you know, the pro-liberal position defense of the ACA and the full-throated conservative plan uh, for repealing it or reworking it well, or whatever they're going to do. it's probably good for people. It's definitely good for people. I agree. Right. And, so, and, and, you know, I'm sure liberal people are going to say, well, that plan is full of lies and conservative people are going to say this – Obamacare is built on law. It, that's fine. I, I I think that's actually fine, and, and that's the debate we need to get back to. We've I right. think as a society we've gotten away from that, and I I think, and this is where like the big verge tech and culture intersection angle comes in. If you're wondering why Walt and I are sort of talking around politics on the show, is these are massive technology companies. They've built these incredibly complicated products that rely on algorithms and machine learning and all the stuff that we always talk about to deliver information to people. They are, they have replaced the media business. For example, I am sitting here at the Vox Media corporate offsite and a lot of what we've talked about at this meeting is Facebook and Google, all of the money that's going from traditional legacy advertising businesses like print media and television the, the ranges, our CEO, Jim Bankoff, has, was laughing yesterday. He's like, the estimated range is every dollar that leaves 
the legacy media, Facebook and Google, depending on who you believe, capture between 60 cents and a dollar and 10 cents. Dollar and 10 cents. <laughs> Where he was saying this is like the level of hysteria about the power of these two companies is through the roof, right? But the, the movement of that money is very real. And so if they are going to capture all of that value, if all of the money is going to race towards, you know, particularly Facebook, which is capturing such an enormous amount of it, then they probably have some responsibility to make sure that they don't negatively impact the culture. And I think, you know, you brought up Twitter. We just think of Twitter as a cesspool. I literally, when I open Twitter now, I, I, I know I'm going to feel bad in, in, in one way or another. Yeah. You know, so people are going to yell at me or people are going to be arguing or something bad is going to happen on there. That part of the discourse it, it filters through back into how journalists talk, how people think about the media. On Facebook, my favorite thing on Facebook is someone shares something from the Washington Post or New York Times, and they say, why doesn't the media cover this? And I'm like, "It's you're sharing a New York Times link. But because it's Facebook, it's getting uh, disintermediated from the source of that media. Right. I, I'm not saying Facebook needs to hire its own media staff and put check marks next to everything that's true. I'm saying they have all this money, and this is your point too, they have all this money, they have all this talent, they have all this technology. They should be more proactive about making sure what they distribute is in the public interest versus just making people feel good so they spend more time on Facebook. Right, and 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 the, and I'm being very narrow about this to start. I mean, maybe I'll write a piece in two years about something broader that they ought to do with regard to to news. But right now, I'm just saying, look, there are obviously, just obviously fake stories and fake sources of stories. You really ought to be able to get them. You really ought to be able to identify them and you really ought to be able to ban them from, from Facebook using a combination of algorithms and humans. Uh, you really ought to be able to do it. And I know they tried an experiment. They had a minor feature that I frankly didn't even know was there. I, I, and I never had looked at it for trending stories where there were some complaints that somebody on the team who was a, a, a you know, obviously a human employee I'm talking about um, uh, was, I don't know, weeding out cons more conservative than liberal stories. People complained their reaction was to basically turn over to an algorithm which immediately started started i think upvoting uh fake stories yeah um, it's, it's it's worth unpacking this in full so uh i believe it's over the summer uh gizmodo ran a, a pretty big exposé of facebook i think their headline was facebook regularly suppresses conservative news in the trending box and what they were talking about and this is primarily on the desktop experience of facebook uh, was there's a box trending on Facebook, and it's routinely full of the most insipid stories. It's celebrity post picture to Instagram is always trending on Facebook, if you look at that box. Yeah. And they had built this system where they hired a bunch of uh, contractors, temporary workers, to you know sit in the basement of a warehouse somewhere. Yeah, these weren't Pulitzer Prize-winning editors. <laughs> and they had this, uh, excuse me, they, they, they had this rubric where they would see what was trending on Facebook, and if... You know, if the story was covered in the top 100, you know, white-listed major media organizations, I could put it there. But the claim, the allegation from this unnamed employee was they were routinely not letting conservative stories trend. So this is obviously a blockbuster 
claim. Uh, and Facebook reacted by saying, okay, we, we obviously screwed up. We were just seeing how it should work. You know, we had these humans here so that we could learn how to build an <laughs> algorithm. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to fire them all anyway and just let the robots do it. So we're just going to let the robots all do it. And immediately, uh, the robots started picking even more insipid stories than before, including fake news. Right. And so the question is, and, and it's, a, it's a really hard question, is if the major media, if the, cons- and again, I'm out of the actual politics of this, but if the claim from the conservative side is the major media is hopelessly biased against our stories, you can't use them to verify anything because that will suppress conservative news. Well, it would, it would, it would, also, it would also be unfair to small sites that aren't even political, that just have interesting stories that the major media isn't writing that are interesting to them and that people might want to read. You know, it's just a bad system to say, here are a hundred major media outlets and right. that's going to be our filter. Then the question is, what system do you use? Do you, do you hire your well, own I, editor no, no, and well, have them re-report every story to make sure they're true? I, mean, I think the, it can the, be part of it. I mean, the way that in the piece this morning, I gave them uh, a little guide because I thought maybe they were confused. So I thought I'd help out. And yeah. I know I know some of those people and I thought I'd give them a little guide. And I said, you know, I talked about opinion. That's not fake news. I talked about, uh, you know, people believe all kinds of things. And if somebody wants to post some just, I mean, a person, not a, not a, not a pretend news site, wants to post that they don't believe that we landed on the moon, that's not fake news. That's just, you know, we may think that's misguided. There probably are other people who agree with that person. That's fine, you know. If you and I, and this could this could actually re- happen in real life, if you and I decided to have an argument about, uh, you know, a penalty in a football game, there's a fact behind that, and that fact is the video of the penalty shown from 16 different angles. And like, say, for example, the fact that Tom Brady uh, deflated his football. Yeah, we could have an argument about that. Um, <laughs> I'd be happy to do that. Next week's episode. That's what the people want. That's what next week's episode is. So, uh... <laughs> Nobody will listen. Uh, <laughs> we could do that. Uh, Finally, Walt and Eli relitigate Deflate Gate two years later. <laughs> <laughs> two years late, but who the hell cares? Yeah. And and so yeah, but that's a point. That's a point that in that case somebody measured the the pressure in the balls and it wasn't within regulation. There could have been there were a lot of possible explanations. The league, the commissioner chose one, which penalized Brady and. By the way, the Patriots still went three and one during the <laughs> during the suspension. But the point is that that's not fake news. Yeah, that's that's an that's an interpretation, an argument over an interpretation of a fact. There's a fact, and we're we're each deciding, you know, what lay behind that fact. Uh, but what I said in the piece, and I stand by it in this podcast, is uh, there is such a thing as totally purely fake news. If you get a sensational, opportune story posted and it's not replicated anywhere else, it's not even quoted anywhere else, and you go and there's no reporting. You read the story and the, you can tell. I mean, a human can tell this. There's no, really no reporting. There's really no backup to it. And... You go and investigate the site and you find out, as BuzzFeed did in a great investigation they did, that it was coming from teenagers in a town in Macedonia 
who were doing it openly and quoted in the story and said by name, quoted, we're doing this because we want to make money off the ads, then you should be, if you're a company that made nearly $3 billion in profits last quarter, you have all this technology, you have all these smart people, and you're a home for all this news and all this journalism, you really ought to be able to clean that stuff out. That's my point. And I thought Mark's two long pieces made it sound like this was really tough. And there are tough things about it. You have to be careful not to shut down all those other things we talked about, the legitimate opinion and the, and the interpretations. And I didn't, me- I didn't mention this in the column, and I probably should have, but you, you need to be careful about satire. But you, I refuse to believe that Facebook is incapable of doing this. And toward the end of the piece, I said, you know, I don't, I'm not arguing that this is the thing they should do or the only thing they should do or whatever. They may not need to do it. But if you need help, you can hire some distinguished editor. I mean, un, undeniably distinguished editor to come in and help you if you want and a small team. Uh, yeah. But you don't, you know, however you want to do it. Use your current employees, use your algorithms, and your current employees, you know, whatever. You, you This narrow thing, narrow thing, not something you disagree with, but an absolutely false thing. The Pope did not endorse anybody in this election. And somebody that says they did, and I think it got a million likes or something. Yeah. That thing was false. And you should have been able to catch that just by looking and seeing if the Vatican was announcing it on Facebook, where the Vatican maintains a presence. Right. And you should have so, done, and you shouldn't have, and you should have just barred it. So I agree with you, but let me, I think there are challenges for Facebook here, and it's worth explicating them a little. The first is simply volume, right? They can't monitor everything everyone posts. They have over a billion people are using Facebook. So closing in on 2 billion, actually. Yeah. So it's an enormous volume of stuff. So they have to build some system that scales against that volume of stuff. Now they have enough money. They really could just hire a thousand people and throw them at this problem. And maybe that would work, but that's probably not the best solution. But so that, that, that's a tough problem. And I, I'll grant them that that problem is quite hard. The harder problem, which I think is really interesting, and maybe I only I think it's interesting because, you know, I, I'm a law and policy nerd, is internet companies, including ours. So, in, you know, we have comments on our website. Um, they are protected from liability from what their users do uh, by a law called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which is a whole rabbit hole of actual controversy now, but it's in sort of the conventional wisdom, it's the thing that lets user-generated content companies survive. It means if I go on Facebook and I write, Walt Mossberg is a jerk, and Walt decides to sue me because that's defamatory, he can't sue Facebook. He can only sue me. Facebook is shielded because they don't have editorial control of what I... um, That is a pretty narrow law, right? It's if Facebook starts to exert editorial control over what's on its site, then they might be liable for that stuff as well. And so the the instinct of every media company is to pull back from exerting that control. And I, that is, it's one of those places where that's a law from the 90s, literally the 90s, and maybe we've outgrown that policy. Yeah, I right? think maybe we have. Maybe it's time to I say. think we have outgrown it. I've never liked that law. That 
If I'm not mistaken, that law was mostly pushed through by AOL in the days when it was king. Uh, yeah. I'm almost certain of that. And I mean, I'm sure there were other people, behind, uh, you know, supporting it, but I think they they mostly made it happen. And but the, there's a big difference here. Facebook is soliciting; they pay companies, including ours, for instance, to do live videos. Now that may mm-hmm. stop at some point, but right now they're doing that. Um, Average Joe could do a live video, and he's not getting paid, but we are. Why? Because we're a news media company, and Facebook wants to be in that business. Um, They have a thing called Instant Articles, which I suspect most of our readers have used but may not know the term. This column that we're discussing that I wrote this morning is presented on phones as an instant article. And, and, And if you go there and you tap on it, uh, it opens instantly. I mean, it doesn't take you to, not only doesn't it take you to the website like it did years ago, but it doesn't even open a web page, you know, in line in the app, which is what the behavior was before. Because Facebook established a standard for that, a technical standard, and we and other media companies write a version. So there's a version of my column meant to be read on our website uh, and on Recode. There's a mm-hmm. version meant to be read on our website as it appears on mobile or as it appears on, on tablets. But there's a separate version coded in the way that Facebook wants so it can open instantly on phones in Facebook. And more and more and more, that's the way people are consuming their news. And by the way, we do a version for Apple News, I think, Neelai, right? And we do yep. a version for uh, a thing called Google, what's it called, AMP, uh, which is their kind of fast opening. It's, it's in search results, but it's their fast opening thing. And we do a version for Snapchat. Uh, yeah. And we're not alone in this. Uh, not at all. And I mean, so I the, the listeners I think, always like inside baseball. I think a, I know this is inside baseball, but I think a company that you you can't simultaneously say we're just a technology company and at the same time have staff and resources devoted to working with soliciting the the business of and the and the and the loyalties of media companies to publish on your platform and probably only on your platform effectively. That is, the percentage of people that read it there outweighs the percentage that read it on your own site. Yeah. So what I, I was actually going to give people more inside baseball, which is uh, with The Verge's new design, uh, we've actually migrated a substantial part of our backend to a new internal publishing system that makes it easier to go to all these platforms. So, uh, I mean, this is really deep in the weeds, but our old editor used to basically spit out HTML, and then there was a layer that retranslated it for uh, all the other platforms you go to. And now with our new editor, where you know I lay out Walt's column every week, uh, that thing is not built to do HTML. It does another middle language, and then it goes to the web, and then it goes to Facebook and articles. And so media companies like ours are literally thinking about how do we make it easier on the our own back end to go work with a company like Facebook because they want to natively present this stuff. So that, that argument over Facebook as a media distributor is very strong. It's, uh, you know, for, you know a, a, a huge news item this week was 
uh, AT&T launching DirecTV now. Right. And I, I think about this in the terms of a cable company. No cable company runs around saying, well, we're just a technology provider. We're not a media business. But they're in literally the same business, right? They ingest media from a variety of networks and they package that ha- it all that up and to, spit it out to consumers. That has to be, that has to be produced, in a, I'm sure, in a certain standard that Comcast or whoever requires yeah. or asks yeah, that, for. That, that, so that's exactly my point. What, what the video files, the streaming uh, encoding work that, I don't know, NBC has to do to go on DirecTV now versus the NBC app on iOS versus the coax pipe direct to the Comcast cable box – those are all different encodings, but the content's the same, and all of those companies think they're, they're media companies. And if you just start to think about Facebook as that media distribution engine, then it becomes very clear that they are the same as a Comcast. They are the same as a DirecTV now. They're the, they're the same as these, what we all agree without any question, are media companies. Yeah, Facebook yeah. is not a dumb pipe. That's the point. And that law was... At the time that law was written, they were saying, well, we're just, you know, we're just the common – I know this is a legal term and the wrong legal term to use in this context. But they were saying, oh, we're just common carriers. You know, we're just dumb pipes. And, um, and all these companies want it both ways, right? They, they, they want to say, well, when it comes to what the users are doing, we're not liable at all. But when it comes to how we price these services and how we throttle some services, well, we're – we're not. We're we're absolutely not dumb pipes. We're information. In this is a huge fight, and I think Facebook's responsibility. And I think another piece of this election is you start to see these billionaires in Silicon Valley, like Zuckerberg, realize that they have some sort of social responsibility. Um, however, they want to express it. You know, Peter Thiel has one set of expressions of his social responsibility, and Mark Zuckerberg has another. But you're starting to see them understand. Oh my God, we're actually titans of industry. We're not, we're not the disruptors any longer. And I think that moment is going to be really important for Facebook to navigate because they might have to give up some growth, right? They they might irritate the people who love fake news, who come to Facebook to have fake news validate their pre-existing opinions about how much they love slash hate the president. Maybe they're going to use Facebook a little bit less, but that might be balanced by their their social responsibility. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And to be fair to to Mark Zuckerberg, if you read his two posts, and I recommend you do, if you, even if you don't like me and don't like Neely and don't like The Verge, you'll find handy links to Mark's posts <laughs> in my post this morning, and you can find them, uh, and in other stories we've written. Um, uh, but if you read those posts, he says, we've been working on this for a long time, we're trying really hard, we don't want fake news, it's a tricky thing, uh, and so forth. I believe him. I think it, he he just doesn't think it's a good thing for his members to have fake news, uh, uh, you know, pumped out at them. I I kind of he doesn't say this, but I kind of think, and I said this a little earlier, but I'm going to repeat it. I think in the long run, it's not good for his company, which I you know I do consider a media company. But Mm -hmm. where I took issue with him and take issue, still take issue with him is he walks right up to the line and lists all these things. We're going to put warning labels on these posts and we're going to, you know, right now you can report fake news, but it's it's about four steps down in the reporting system, which is itself 
kind of like a maze. I mean, it's it's very difficult to do. He's going to make it easier for that. He's going to uh, he's going to consult with fact checkers to find out how they check facts. I mean, literally saying this kind of stuff. But where I disagree with him is he walks right up there, says he wants to get rid of it, doesn't want it on his site, is working hard on it. He a week after his first post, he put up another post with updates. So he's working hard on it. But then he says, we're not going to do it ourselves. We're just going to figure out ways to get users and, which is the classic Silicon Valley thing, you know, the users will vote things up and down. I mean, that that worked great on Reddit, right? <laughs> I mean, where no fake news and no hate speech ever got voted up. But uh, but beyond that, he says, and, and we're going to, we hope to have third parties involved, like I mean, he mentioned journalists and fact-checking organizations, things like that. That's where I disagree with him. I think all those things are fine, but they're not a substitute for Facebook itself taking responsibility for this and saying, we're the platform where you read, you know, your your favorite conservative, liberal, uh, you know, neutral, if such a thing exists, journalism, technology journalism automotive journalism, cultural journalism, all of that is The Verge, by the way. Uh, or, yeah. <laughs> uh, or uh, you know, you, you, you want to read, I don't know, Vanity Fair, you want to read uh, uh, Field and Stream or gun magazines or whatever you want to read, it's all here. It's on Facebook. We, and we split the ad revenue in certain ways with them. And these are all, people don't understand, there are business deals behind this. This isn't just like it used to be three, four years ago where, you know, somebody posted a link and then it went back to the website. It's just not, that's not what it is. They're a, as you explained, we have integrated, other people have integrated in, into Facebook. That's what they've invited us to do. That's where it is. And you can't just stop at that line anymore and say, well, we'll rely on other people to do this for us. We're working on it. In fact, it, it doesn't make sense. But anyway. It, it, it is an odd time in media, right? I mean, I, I, the, the, the rate of change is higher than ever. The rate of uncertainty and how all, all of the, every media company is going to survive and get traffic when all of the people are using Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and not browsing the web or doing, you know, buying print newspapers or whatever they used to be doing. Uh, that uncertainty is very high. But so that's, that's my question to you. Do you, do you remember a time when the media was so, so much in question about its existential future versus its social responsibility versus some new disruptive technology. I mean, I'm thinking about like the early internet, right? Did, did people think of AOL and, and Yahoo in these ways in the early days, or is this a new moment? Uh, in the very early days, I think they mostly ignored it. I don't, I don't think that, you know, it was like flicking a fly off your shirt or something. I, I think, <laughs> I think they, then they panicked at some point in there and tried different, you know, tried to be cool or tried to do different things. Uh, but I think this is different. And I think a part of it is, as you pointed out, the shift in money. Part of it is the shift in, uh, which has been going on for a long time, but I think has accelerated. Part of it is that I think there's some consolidate. It's one thing to say, oh, there's a million websites and blogs. It's another thing to say, because in that world, they can be some of the bigger websites themselves. If you say Facebook and Google and 
you know, even Apple, which doesn't seem to care a lot about it, but they bundle it on devices that sell in large numbers, uh, and some people use it. Um, you know, if it consolidates down to a handful of companies, which are the place people go to read news, and they are in there, and the and the and the field is leveled between the New York Times and the Verge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, although we would think we're better, but the oh, point absolutely. is that the for a new you know for a neutral observer that doesn't know our awesomeness yet, it appears to be level, and they're not used to that. They're just not used to that. When I came into the business, it was like a pyramid. You know, there was a broadcasting pyramid, where if that was what you were interested in, you know, there were certain, there were a few networks and shows where you wanted to be where that was the pinnacle. Maybe 60 Minutes is a good example. And if you were in print, you wanted to be at the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post. That was the pinnacle. If you're in magazines, I don't know what the example would be, but but whatever, you know. That's just that like, world doesn't exist. The world is flat on Facebook. And I know, you know, there are metrics that show somebody does better on one day and somebody does better on another day. But it really, you have to get out there and compete every day on Facebook. And and Facebook just sits back and they're the winner because they get the traffic, they get the growth. Um, they're giving away, if I'm not mistaken, much of the revenue right now to news mm-hmm. organizations, but that could change at any moment and we are all acutely aware of that. So there could be a lot of revenue in there for them uh, growing uh, someday. And so, no, I can't remember a time. And I also think the other thing is the most of the mainstream media and even a lot of the internet media backed the losing candidate in the presidential election, those that made endorsements. And the winning candidate was pretty hostile to the to the to journalists, but he had mastery over some of the key tools of the internet. You know, we have not had a really internet savvy president. Yeah, uh, you see, Trump is tweeting every day, and Trump is it's... tweeting every day. And you know, I don't purport to know how much of it he does himself, how much of it somebody else does, but I think he does a lot of it himself. It's my guess, mm-hmm. and um, so. When the president of the United States says something or the president-elect, the media is used to writing about it. And now there's a raging debate about whether if this guy's going to tweet twice a day or something, is that really a big story each time, particularly if there are other things going on that need to be written about uh, him or other things in the world. And so, no, so yeah, there's a, big, there's a big crisis. I did not try to engage in that. In this yeah. in this piece, I just because I write for The Verge and The Verge writes about technology and, and 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 media and culture and those things. I wrote a piece about fake news on Facebook and what their responsibility is and why I think they're a media company. And and you can that plenty of people have already disagreed with it and other people have agreed with it. And um, you know, I I I think we're going to be talking about it. For a while. This episode of Control Alt Delete is brought to you by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers. 
eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Its award-winning sleep surface was developed in-house, has a sleek design, and is delivered in a small, how-do-they-do-that size box. In addition to the mattress, Casper also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams for a sleep surface that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design sleeps cool to help you regulate your temperature through the night. Mattresses can often cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost $500 for a twin-size mattress, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king. And buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and free returns with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. So, the Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress that is shockingly fair price. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. There's free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. You can try it for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. And it's made in America. So... Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash Walt and using offer code Walt. That's www.casper.com slash Walt and offer code Walt. Terms and conditions apply. The idea that this is unprecedented in some way to me is that's the most interesting thing, right? Usually, I mean, we do it on this show, right? It's, it's, Every week, I like bring up an old column. I'm like, yeah, here's here's an echo of the past, right? Like, we've gone through this before. The the ports have changed in the past. Apple will remove the optical drive. Like, we're, we're there's so much of what happens in the tech industry that is cyclical. That there's a there's a guide, right? We we have history to to yes. get us through these moments. Here, the moment is the entire media industry is in thrall to a handful of very large, very powerful technology companies that are, and I, I, you know, I read the Zuckerberg post too, but to me, there's still this insistence that they don't carry the obligation of the media industry. Right. And that's the term. We're going to fix the problem, but but we're going to rely on somebody else to actually carry out the fix is what they said. Yeah. That's a good way to summarize Mark's. Mark's posts. And what's funny, and you brought this up in your column as well, is you know Facebook wants to go into China. China is a much different market, a much different government, a much different culture. And to go into China, they're going to build a tool for uh, Chinese third parties to actively remove things from Facebook, right? It's for the Chinese government to build a, a system by which it can censor Facebook so Facebook can exist in China. So it's not that they can't solve the problem. It's it's almost worse. They're solving the problem for the government that wants to actively censor the internet, but they don't want to solve the problem for America, which has freedom of speech, but get rid of the fake stuff. And I, that, to me, that's a huge disconnect that I think is re- really revealing of how Facebook's incentives are, which is to make money and grow and acquire another billion users or whatever they want to do, versus be a responsible member of the media ecosystem. Well, I, 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 I agree 100%. I would, actually, I would actually argue that at some point their growth may be inhibited if people stop trusting them or stop trusting what they're going to see there. I think people understand that you know, pe- this is a whole separate 
discussion we should have someday, but the people are in these bubbles with like-minded other people and all that kind of stuff. But so, but people still expect to see some things on Facebook that they don't believe or they don't like or they don't agree with. But for the most part, they, nobody sits around and thinks Facebook itself is is promoting fake news. They don't. But Facebook is promoting fake news. Not promote in the Facebook way Facebook uses the term. It's not an ad, you know, it's not a, a paid boosting of the fake news stories, but but by the very nature of the way it works, it's promoting it. And fake news is not new. The lead of my column was about 1800, the election of 1800 <laughs> when supporters of John Adams rode out in the woods, spread the word that Thomas Jefferson was dead, so don't bother voting for him. You know, that was fake news. But there was no Facebook. There was only however many people those guys on horses could reach. And I don't even know if it was a national effort or just in a few places. And there were horrible things written by Jefferson paid off a newspaper editor in, I think, Richmond to write horrible things about Adams that were not true. He was pissed off at Adams for some other reason also. So, you know, they had their, they had their, their equivalents, but they didn't have Facebook. Um, we had growing up, and I guess it's still publishing. I think it's still around. The National Enquirer, right? You'd be in the supermarket. It would be uh, that's where I remember them selling it mostly, uh, and it would, it would the cover would be you know. The president secretly met with space aliens. I guess there were some people that believed it, but I think a lot of the people that bought it were just buying it to be entertained. I don't know. I don't think it was satire. I think it was, you know, it was fake news. So fake news has existed, but I think it's existentially different now. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I think we need to, I think we, we need to get used to holding Facebook and others that are the big portals or platforms for news, the big new new types of media companies to standards. They need to be held to standards. Who do you think should set those standards? That's kind of the last big question, right? It's it's those standards. No, it's a it's can... a great standard, and it and it goes to the word that I've seen used in some of the comments I've gotten today uh, on on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, which use the word censorship. Um, mm -hmm. You're the lawyer, so you correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm almost 100% certain that censorship is a term which only applies to the government, to governments. Yes. I mean, so sure. So we make judgments at, at The Verge and the rest of Vox Media. Every, I, made, I made a judgment what to write about this week. I told you about it. In fact, we did. this was an odd one because we discussed it in our last podcast that I was going to do this. <laughs> And I think I think I ordered you to do something. You haven't done it yet. Um, and I was censored. Dieter censored me. <laughs> Dieter censored you. I, get, I was just trying to work in the Dieter reference this week. <laughs> Thank God. I was going to forget that. <laughs> Dieter Bone. Um, here's the thing. If Facebook stopped fake news coming from Macedonia or wherever it comes from, that would not be censorship. Facebook is a is a, is a private concern. It's not the government. I know it's a public company, but in this context, it's a private concern, and it has the right to promulgate whatever it wants. And you know, they have taken the position in these, even in these recent letters, that they want to have the freest possible range of speech there is, but they don't want hoaxes. So, in right in his letter, he makes a distinction, but that's not censorship. 
And so if you ask me who should draw the line, who should make the decision, every different company should make its own decision. It's, it's mm-hmm. like the App Store um, in a funny way. I mean, Apple has, had made, has, has traditionally made, made a tougher set of decisions about what apps it wants uh, in its App Store than Google has. Some people feel very strongly that they prefer the Google more hands-off position and other people have said that they really prefer the Apple curated decision. I actually, when, when nobody was looking, I think the two app stores have come much closer together. But, you know, certainly at the beginning, this was a, a clear difference. And if you asked Steve Jobs in the early days, he said he felt it reflected poorly on Apple uh, to have bad apps. I mean, they rejected apps not because they had mal. I mean, they did re- try to reject the ones with malware and things like that. But... They rejected apps because they didn't think they looked good enough. You know what I mean? They they wanted a certain level of whatever design or quality on their phones. You might say they're out of their minds. It's terrible business strategy. Or you might say it's a smart business strategy. But it doesn't matter what you say. That was just what they felt was appropriate for their company. And that was not censorship, although people used the word, because they were not the, the government. And it was just their choice, just like it's our choice every day, what we publish in The Verge and, and what we don't. We pu- actually publish a huge range of stuff. Um, uh, and But there are some stories we just don't think are in our wheelhouse, so we don't publish yeah. them. I mean, if somebody came to us with a story about, I don't know, uh, uh, well, would I, we write a story about horse racing if it had nothing to do with tech or the other categories we cover? Well, horses are the oldest technology. Yes, probably. I know. <laughs> probably, I mean, really, if some, if there was a, a story that said a particular horse was being entered in a particular race, and that was it, and it was of interest yeah. to people who cared about that sport, it's not something we typically yeah, cover. Not, we probably I, the, wouldn't the, write it. The better it. example is, and we get this all day, all day, we delete comments that are... Uh, hostile or abusive or, you know, we, we do it all the time. We or hate spam. speech. Or hate we All day long. We have a team of moderators. They're great. We love them. Uh, a lot of them are volunteers. Thank you, moderators. Like, they're, they're great. And, uh, you know, I think we have a really good comment section and it's generally a, a fun place and I love reading the comments. But the reason for that is we delete a lot of bad stuff. And we get emails every day, all day, you are uh, censoring me. You're infringing my right to free speech. On and on and on. And the answer is no, we're not. Right? We're we're a private company. We're not the government. And if if, if the government was coming in telling you that you couldn't speak, well, yeah, sure, that'd be a problem. But the Verge is not the government. And you know, one day we we will in fact take over America, and that will be great. <laughs> uh, but right now we haven't we haven't gotten there yet, uh, and that is. That has nothing to do with your first. Can I be in the right? cabinet or not? Well, I was thinking of more of like a military-style dictatorship, <laughs> but you, we'll, we'll work it out. You'll, you'll have a post wall, obviously. Thank you. Uh, all of my friends and family will, will be in the government. It'll be great. But that distinction, I think, is, is lost on a lot of people, right? It, it's the most common. If you've been around internet communities, uh, moderating I, look, I, internet I, communities I totally has agree been, with you. Um, people don't not understanding free speech. It's just it's the longest running thing that you have to calmly explain yeah, over I, I, and over and I had over the same again. thing uh, when we founded Recode, which part of Vox Media, and it's why I'm at The Verge. But, you know, we had, a, we had the, same, the same thing. And 
it's our decision what the tone and tenor of our site is and what the range. It's not a question of, I mean, if you look at the Verge comments section, there's lots of comments of, uh, by people who say, Neil, I was totally wrong. I mean, Walt was totally comments, wrong. Basically. Dieter yeah. was totally wrong. Whatever it is, you know, that's fine. Um, we we understand that. That's fine. So it's not like we're getting, we're, we're deleting comments that disagree with us, even passionately disagree with us, but they have to be civil and they have mm-hmm. to meet certain standards that are clear and published and known. And when they don't, we make choices. This is what Facebook has to do. And the only subject I was talking about this morning was the easiest subject, in my opinion, yeah. which is pu- purely fake news from purely fake news operations. I mean, and it, it, and I, I would put that on the order of us deleting spam, right? It right. is not controversial for us to go into our comments and delete the spam that's affiliate links to garbage or gives you. Yeah, a, you and know, the like, other one that's really easy is hate speech. I mean, you know, right. somebody writes something that's clearly racist, clear, you know, uses there are terms in our language that are sl- racial slurs, that are religious slurs, that are misogynist slurs, that are homophobic slurs. They're very easy. Even algorithms can recognize them. And Facebook has rules against that. Twitter has rules against that. They've chosen to have those rules. I agree that they should have those rules and they should enforce them. If somebody wants to put up a website, and there are plenty of them that, that allow all that stuff or encourage it, that's, you know, the, the government's not going to censor them and they should go do that. But, uh, but Facebook says it doesn't want hate speech, but it doesn't do a great job on it. I got some today in response to this column. Yeah. And it was up I mean, to I, me. It was up to me to delete it or block it or report it, I, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, and they had no filter. They had no way to look at those keywords and yeah. get rid of them. I mean, I think the idea of, uh, of thinking of fake news is, is Facebook spam, kind of like re even if you don't want to concede that they're a media company and they should act with you know, responsibility and ethics and all this stuff, the, the idea that it's just spam that's designed to get you to click on it so an ad network can serve an ad for a penny and pay off a bunch of teenagers who don't give a shit about American democracy in Macedonia. Right. And by the way, we love Macedonia. We have nothing against Macedonia. There's probably right, a bunch of teenagers literally in are Brooklyn doing this too. And a bunch in Maryland doing it too, although they're not <laughs> right. coming near my bunker. But um, <laughs> yeah, right. they're not getting their hands on that MacBook Air. That's right. Uh, you know, it just happens that BuzzFeed found them in one town that a fairly obscure town, at least to Americans, in Macedonia. And they were teenagers and they were willing to talk about it. And they and they weren't doing it, uh, at least according to the BuzzFeed report, which I reread before writing the column. They weren't. Nobody said they were doing it because Trump campaign got them to do it or because mostly it was pro-Trump stuff they were pointing out. There was even a section of the story where they said we tried to do pro-Hillary stuff, but it didn't work very well. So uh, they were doing it to make money off ads. And by the way, Facebook has taken these kinds of sites off their... This is interesting. It's taken these fake news sites out of its ad network. Google has too. How does it know which fake which sites are fake <laughs> so that they can't participate in the ad network. If it knows that, why can't it t- why can't it just bar them from the site altogether? That's an inter- you know, it's an interesting yeah. question. 
which I failed asking the piece, but that's why we have this podcast. So I'm asking. <laughs> that's it what right we're here now. for. Uh, well, sadly, I have to get back to our Vox Media corporate meeting, and I have to get uh, out so of. So we can booth. discuss. You just got to get out of the booth <laughs> while it's trapped in a sound booth in New York City. Uh, I think, you know, this is one, I just want, I want to come back to this. The idea that this is unprecedented, that Facebook has amassed all of this power and influence in the media, and it's a, techno- it's a new technology company. It's not that old of a company, and they have to reckon with their responsibility versus their power versus their need to keep growing and keep their shareholders happy versus, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and his wife starting charity. Like there's, there's a lot. It's, it's a whoa, big, whoa, whoa, whoa. we're all for problem. Mark and his wife having a charity. No, I, I only said that in the sense that, you know, he's a, a new young billionaire who has some sense of social responsibility. Right. But, but here, that, here, that's a great point because the typical Silicon Valley thing Patterned after Bill Gates, who you can't say enough good about with his philanthropy. I mean, it's amazing. But the typical Silicon Valley thing is we're running our company over here voraciously, going after growth, doing all these things. I'm not saying that anybody's committing any crimes, but, you know, very tough business people. But once we make a lot of money, we start a charity and it's a real charity and it does real things. And that's our thing. Well, he has to also think about some of those same principles he's applying to the charity ought to apply to the company. And it was his decision to become a media company, a platform for media. It's his decision to create a situation where if you're on your phone and you tap on my column, it loads way faster than it does on our website. Even though our website's getting much better, it still loads way faster on Facebook for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons that we don't have time to go into. But um, it was his decision to do those things, and he and that made him a media company, in my opinion. And he has to act like a media company and get rid of the spam. To you, sure? Yeah. All right. Well, if you are interested in more media, uh, I encourage you to listen to Recode Media, Peter Kafka. With Peter Kafka, it's a great podcast. Uh, also on the Recode side, Lauren Good hosts Too Embarrassed to Ask. Uh, Kara Swisher hosts Recode Decode, which is also excellent if you're interested in media. Uh, and then Dieter and I host the Vergecast, and we have uh, What's Tech with Chris Plant on the Verge side. Anyway, tons of stuff. It's all on iTunes. Go listen to it. Uh, rate it with five stars. Uh, share it on Facebook. Mark to your friends that it's real news, because that's great. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Walt and I love your feedback. I'm at Reckless. Walt is at Walt Mossberg. We love your intros in particular, so keep sending those along. And we will be back next week. Thanks, Walt. 